and welcome to episode 152 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast, round two. I'm Chris, and joining me is Shane. We're amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky, and this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. Uh, how was your week, Shane? I know you got some observing in because we actually observed together the other night. Yeah, yeah. So two sessions, uh, one in the backyard, and... Um, that was actually sort of a preparatory session for coming out to your place. Um, so I, I did a quick one just to see, because with those Borg, uh, Borg telescopes, like the, uh, not all eyepieces will come to focus unless you make some adjustments. So I wanted to test a few eyepieces that I was planning to bring out to your place. So I did a little backyard and then had a really, really good night, uh, out, uh, out of the uh, city at your dark location. And, um, you know, outside of the seeing, like seeing wasn't the best for the planets, but man, everything else was so good that night. Um, you know, it was quite dark. Uh, transparency was really nice and, and, you know, had a lot of fun looking at a lot of different objects that night. It was really good. Yeah. I, I thought of a name for your, your contraption because it's not, it, it doesn't really look quite like a telescope you've got going on there, but it, it sure is a, an optical wonder. So I had to think of a new name for it. <laughs> okay. Uh, what, what did you come up with? I, I struggled with this for a while, but it's two 50 millimeter telescopes. So I came up with like the 50 slash 50. So the 50, 50, just like the 50, 50 draws at the, like the hockey game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so for everybody listening, um, what I did is, um, I was actually going to bring my hundred millimeter teleview, uh, Genesis SDF out to, uh, out to Chris's for observing, but I knew that Chris would have his hundred millimeter. Well, I didn't know. I assumed you'd have your hundred millimeter tack out. So <clears throat> just to, pro what's that? And I did. Yeah. Um, so just to provide some variability in the observing, I thought I would bring my two 50 millimeter Borgs. So uh, the newly acquired Borg 50 FL was brought out. And then I also uh, had the old mini Borg that you and I have been using for a while but I converted it over to two inch and stuck my 31 millimeter Nagler in there for, you know, a very ridiculous looking telescope, but also a very wide field view, I think in the neighborhood of 10 degrees. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, that 50 FL, I was, I was really impressed with the views. That is, that is one of the coolest telescopes that I've ever seen. I, I, I don't know how you've had it out for a few nights. What are your first impressions sort of after a few nights? Uh, well, yeah, the, the, uh, ease of use is one thing. Like, you know, when we tore down and I passed it to you just to see how heavy it was, like, there's no weight to it at all. Um, but the, I don't know if I've looked through a telescope that provides as crisp an image as that thing seems to, um, it is just so sharp across that field. It, it really is incredible. Yeah. I, I've never seen anything like it. You know, you, you call it like a, you, you mentioned it was sort of a toy like, but you know, I think it's more like a model telescope that to me, that's what it looks like. Kind of how like, uh, it's not like a toy airplane. It looks more like a model airplane compared to like uh, a full size article. Like it's like everything that you'd have in a super high end, um, portable, um, you know, like hundred millimeter or, or 125 millimeter refractor is all done into that. And, I, I brought out my 125 millimeter Borg, uh, but I forget the rings because I want to put them side by side. And after seeing yours, I really want to get them side by side even more because it just looks like 
you know, you left my, my 125 millimeter in the dryer for too long because it looks exactly <laughs> like it. It's just, it, it's just like one tenth the scale. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's a, that's a neat way to describe it for, for sure. Um, it, it really surprised me that night too, how well it did on some objects. Like it really, you know, if I wasn't told that I was looking through a 50 millimeter telescope and I was just looking through the eyepiece, there were some views like that one view of the lagoon, um, really surprised me as to what I was seeing through this little telescope. Uh, granted I had that UHC filter in there, which helped a lot, but, um, it really, uh, it really impressed me. That was my first usage of, um, you know, a little 50 millimeter telescope under a fairly dark sky. And I got to say like, it's more than capable. It really, really did well. Yeah. So what was that like 16 and a half, 17 power with the 24 pan optic in there? Like yeah. That. Yeah. I think that's about right. Um, that was beautiful. That, that was like, it's really weird to think about, but like that was one of the best views I've had of the lagoon, but it was through a 50 millimeter. And I got to say, like, I've done a lot of observing 50 millimeter binoculars, um, which provide impressive views, but um, that 50 millimeter definitely um, was outgunning my, my seven by 35s. Uh, you know, when, once you put that filter in, you know, it, it really is a game changer. And that's the one thing that, that you get even with a small telescope is the ability to change the powers like you were as well as to uh, to be able to use uh, filters pretty easily and and other accessories and to have it permanently mounted like the views it was amazing the views on jupiter that you were getting in the bad seeing we could see all the detail through the 50 millimeter that was visible in my 100 millimeter um however uh through the 100 you could see like the bad scene but the, the bad seeing was uh was almost invisible through the 50 but you, you had almost a crisper um, view through, through a telescope that was uh, half the aperture. Yeah. You know, and so a week or so ago, I had the 50 millimeter out in my backyard, the 50 FL with my Teleview Genesis. So again, you know, hundred millimeter telescope and the seeing, um, was pro maybe a touch better than what it was the last or on Saturday night when you and I were observing. And I noticed the same thing, like in the hundred millimeter, the bad seeing, really made the Jupiter views kind of not worthwhile, you know, like it just wasn't that great, but through the 50, it seemed like the seeing was less pronounced and that I was able to see at least the same level of detail. Now image scale is completely different. You know, the, the disc of Jupiter is much smaller in a 50, but the detail was still there and uh, really surprised me. Yeah, it's, it's a neat scope. And then I really, really liked um, being able to look at the star clouds through the 50, F5 on, on the other side. So, and, and I, I texted you the photo I, I took of, of you and your, your gear. I got, I got two, one photo, the photo with you in it is better than the photo without, cause it was, it was getting dark. It was hard to take photos of the stuff, but, uh, on one side of the contraption sheen is the 50 FL, which is a 50 millimeter F8 on the other side, he's got the 50 F5, which is a 50 millimeter F5 Acromat. Um, and then you had the Nagler 31 in that. And, and that 10 degree field of view was, was, uh, pretty crazy of, of the star clouds, like in Cassiopeia and Scutum. Um, yeah, it was just, just amazing. And, and then you, I think you put it on the, uh, the, uh, coat hanger cluster for a while. And, and we kind of panned around in the overhead region was, uh, was really, really neat to do as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I mentioned it while we were observing. It's so strange looking through that telescope with that wide field of view. It's almost disorienting because I'm not used to seeing that much sky through a telescope. And, um, 
like just panning around, it was weird. Like all of Delphinus fit in that field of view with space, you know, to, yeah. to spare. Um, Malot 20 looked phenomenal in, in there. Like um, it was a, it was a fun night uh, to do that. And, you know, I, I wasn't sure like when you and I were working on these mini Borgs and talking about these super wide field of views, um, I wasn't sure if it would be more novelty, you know, and, and use it once or twice. And then that might be it. Um, but after that experience on Saturday night, um, man, you know, I, I think having that like kind of Richfield telescope on the T mount, no matter what telescope I'm using, I think I will probably run that mini board quite a bit, actually, just for, you know, kind of experiencing those super wide field of views. Cause they're, they're fun. <laughs> yeah. And I, I've uh, had a similar experience with mine, um, as well, like, cause, cause, I, I think I ended up using mine quite a bit more in two inch mode before you uh, were started running yours. And um, yeah, I, I just loved, loved the views. I didn't put mine up last night cause I, I was pretty sure you were bringing yours with you. Um, but I've run it most nights since, since I bought it. Um, usually what I do is I use it as a finder, um, my 50 millimeter F5 as a finder, but I can easily transition over to two inch. And now, now I kind of have two, two inch diagonals. So I'm not kind of, boring from Peter to PayPal. Right. right. But yeah, uh, yeah, it, it really gives you this, uh, this really spectacular super wide field. So my seven by 35s give about, uh, um, they give a 9.3 degree field of view of which about eight degrees is reasonably sharp. And then these kind of give about the same thing. Um, the field, it, it, it's a little bit different though, because you're, it's stable and mounted. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like having, uh, like a stabilized seven by 35, but then you can, you can change up the powers too. And, and then it's mounted, uh, like mine's mounted on my big scope. So I can kind of go back and forth, like, Oh, that looks pretty cool in a wide field of view. What does it look like with, you know, 120 power or something. And then it's centered in there because it's essentially a finder scope right on my main scope. It's, uh, like you said, it's like having two telescopes. It's completely different observing. Very, very neat though. Yeah. Yeah. Super fun. Um, and, and just presents the sky, like I said, in, in a manner that I'm not used to seeing. And the, when you can study the whole field, like your comment about it being stabilized or mounted, when you're able to, to study a 10 degree field and not have the vibrations of, you know, handheld binoculars, you just see so much more, you know, the, the detail yeah. is, is wild and, you know, panning around in Sagittarius and having like, you know, three or four Messier objects and NGCs popping like all in one field. It was just, you know, it almost was reminiscent of looking at the, um, uh, I think it's the Cambridge photographic star Atlas. Yeah. Um, you know, where it's photographs of the constellations, but we, you know, within the photographs, it starts to pull out some of these deep sky objects and, yeah. uh, certainly got that sense, you know, that I was almost looking at a page out of that book. Yeah. And yeah, it, to me, it's, it's just a different type of, of observing, just like how, using um you know stuff uh, telescopes like uh three and four inch refractors i think is is a different observing experience and then once you get into like eight to 12 inch uh reflectors it's a different observing experience and then once you get you know into that uh, 14 15 inch uh reflector and larger that that's a different experience as well like it, it's and it's it's just different like people say why own all these different telescopes but it really is a, a spectacular difference. And the cool thing with these the little ones is, you know, it does give you that experience at the same time. It, it's pretty easy to tote it along. It's basically a finder scope 
Um, and it's not much more effort than bringing a finder scope along with you um, to have like that whole other um, experience, you know, while you're at the eyepiece is, is spectacular. Yeah, absolutely. It, um, it, it affirmed, you know, my decision to go down this path and, and build out these Borgs and, and see what they were able to do. Um, I love them. And, you know, the, the, the 50FL is probably going to become a pretty regular used telescope in my collection too, especially like on these nights of, you know, mediocre to poor seeing, uh, you can take the 50 out and, you know, still have a great session and not have to worry about it. Yeah, it's, it's spectacular. It really is. But uh, the only, the only thing I think you need to do now is to hunt up a used uh, focal reducer for it and just totally kill it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, certainly right. Like that focal reducer on that FL, I think will make it phenomenal. So I will keep my eyes open for one. And, and if I'm able to, uh, acquire one, I think I'll jump on it. Cause I think you actually only, you're only increasing your lowest power with the 31 by one X. So instead of getting around, I don't know what, whatever you get with your pan 24, you're, you're actually going to get about the same power with the 31. Um, and you're only going to lose like maybe half a degree. So you're going to be down to like nine and a half or maybe nine, 9.3 degrees. You're not going to lose a huge field of view. Um, or you're not going to get a huge field of view reduction, but it's going to sharpen it. You're going to be absolutely crisp right to the edge with that. Like it's going to be basically like a mini version of your hundred millimeter, which yeah. would be really cool. Yeah. 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 That would be really nice. Um, hmm. I'll definitely keep my eyes open for that, but yeah. the fun, the fun didn't end there. I really enjoyed the views through, uh, your hundred millimeter. Um, I was really curious about your doctor eyepiece and was able oh, to yeah. look through that and thought it was just phenomenal. Um, you know, the crispness of that hundred millimeter tack is awesome. And then, uh, the, the filter slide that we used towards the end was, was awesome. Um, you know, just, just a quick high level summary anyway, of, of all of that. And we can dive into it all in, in more detail here. Yeah. Well, what, what is the filter slide? So maybe I'll explain this. So the Luma, this is a Lumicon filter slide. That's the best way to think about it, but they don't call it that. It was called the Lumicon multiple filter selector, which is a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> but uh what what these were and i think they're out of production now aren't they didn't they cease production of them they were just selling off units that's how i got one yeah i'm, I'm just looking right now yeah i don't i don't think it's available anymore yeah so what this was this was one of those accessories so it holds your nebula filters but this is i think you can only really use it i think it's only usable for visual observing although you probably get a version or you could have got a version for um, astro imaging as well. But, uh, but what this does is if you imagine your diagonal and there's the nose piece that goes into the telescope and then that attaches to the mirror section. And then from the mirror section, there's a barrel that you put your eyepiece in. Well, this thing sits between that barrel and the mirror and, and you can put, uh, well, you can, you can fill, you can slide in, Four different, I think four different filters. Um, but most people who had ever read about buying it, very few and far between on the reviews on this, uh, use just three filters and then they leave a blank slot open. So you have your natural view of the sky mm -hmm. and you can put in any one of, I think they, they sell or have sold 
um, five or six different filters. So they have, they've had a UHC, an O3, an H beta, a deep sky and a comet filter. And then there might be one that I'm, I'm forgetting um, for visual. Uh, and so what I did is I purchased the um, UHC and I think the O3, yeah. And then I bought the Teleview H beta because the Teleview filters fit this slide. So, so sort of a little bit of background on this is that these have been out, these came out a long time ago from a company called Lumicon. And when I first saw them, I was very excited because I always had enjoyed using filters. And they came out pretty soon after I bought my, my first uh, Nebula filter. They may have even been out before that. And this is going back uh, more than a dozen years ago anyway, maybe even 20 years ago when I first saw these in magazines. But the cost, when I looked up the cost was, I forget what it was, Shane, but it, I think it was like close to $500 Canadian, which puts it out of my uh, buy criteria right there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and what you get is you get like a super high end, I think it's a 99 or 98% reflective diagonal. And I really do like the Lumicon diagonals and I've owned a few in the past. But um, when I found out Lumicon has changed hands over the years and they were, they were going to reduce their production on some stuff and they were selling some of their items off through a retailer. Um, I went on just to buy a diagonal because you had said, hey, they have a diagonal on sale and I bought the diagonal. But when they shipped me the diagonal, it came and it was the one for the filter selector. And it was it was half price or 70% off or something. And so I wrote them and said, hey, you guys just sent me the bottom part to the filter selector. Do you have any of the diagonals? And they said they didn't. They actually had only the filter selector ones. And I said, well, you've got the you've got the other parts for the filter selector. And they said, and and I just left it at that. And they said, do you want those? And I said, sure. So they sent me a whole set with a filter selector and everything, like another diagonal and everything. So I got the full package for, I think it ended up being like $129 Canadian. And like I said, usually this would have been a five or $600 item anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, really good. So yeah, pretty happy with that. And then I'd, I'd been meaning to upgrade my filters for a long time. I just bought like the most inexpensive Nebula filters when I bought my Nebula filters years back. And so I love Nebula filters, as you know, and you know, should, should have always uh, upgraded those. And so I finally um, realized I couldn't fit those old filters that I had in this thing. And so bought, bought a new set. So anyway, so what did you think of the Dr. 12 and a half running in there? Um, really, really nice eyepiece. It re- like, it's one of those eyepieces that sort of just gets out of the way. And, mm-hmm. and what I mean by that is like, there was no struggle at all for eye placement. Eye relief was great. The field was sharp. Like it was just almost the perfect eyepiece um, for that focal length. It just, you just put your eye down and it was like there, the image was there. And some eyepieces, you know, you, you have to have the right eye placement or the eye relief isn't quite great. Or, you know, there's all sorts of things that can go or, or can be kind of off with an eyepiece, but this, this one was perfect for me. And I, I really understand the fanfare behind it. It's unfortunate. It's no longer made. But while that eyepiece was available, uh, you know, many uh, amateur astronomers viewed that as one of the top eyepieces available. Yeah, the only thing I noticed with it, my only criticism is that it does have a bit of a re- of a reflection. Oh, okay. Like, like um, and not everybody notices it. I do. I do notice that uh, as well. Um, some people notice that it has edge distortion, but I think because I'm so used to my astigmatism. Um, 
that, uh, yeah, edge distortion, I mean, and astigmatism, they go hand in hand. So I'm just so used to it that maybe yeah. I just sort yeah. of fil filter it out. I, it, to me, it just looks like a, like a pretty good natural field of view. Um, yeah, but you notice I was running the 40XW, the 12 and a half, and then my 10XW in the, in the uh, 1.6 uh, Barlow from Nikon. I, I think that's a neat combination, that three set of eyepieces. Yeah. Yeah. That gives you the, the spread, like a nice spread from, you know, low power wide field to that mid range and then high power when needed. And, and really, I don't think you need much more than that. Um, the only time I think you maybe want more eyepieces is like, if you're doing a dedicated planetary session, um, I find it nice to, or, you know, a, kind of a, a good thing to do is to match, you know, the highest power seeing available, uh, or the highest magnification available determined by the seeing. Uh, so sometimes you want to go up in millimeter increments till you, you know, hit that limit. But um, for the type of observing we did, um, that's the ideal set right there. Yeah. So this is running in my four inch, my hundred millimeter, and I'm using 18 power with the 40, 60 power with the 12 and a half and 120 power with the 10 XW uh, bar that about six point or 1.6 times. So I, I like that. I think that's a pretty, pretty good set. You know, a lot of the time people will, you know, get really focused on buying tons and tons of eyepieces, but I'm always, I always say, you know, we've said this before, you really just need three. And I, I actually think other than a, a really high power um, or, or, or decent high power eyepiece um, thrown on top of that, like a, like a five millimeter or four millimeter, um, you're good. And in fact, what I'm using a lot of the time is, uh, is that same set. And then I have a three times uh, Teleview Barlow that I just bought and it turns the 12 and a half into a four millimeter. And so that gives me like around 185 power, give or take. And so uh, when I'm, when I'm doing mostly planets or the moon is up or whatever, it's that same set of uh, three eyepieces and the two Barlows. And, uh, and again, I can always take the Barlows out and, and use the 10 in its native uh, length to get 74 power, which is a nice jump from 60 when you're just sort of, looking uh, at, at some deep sky objects and you throw two Barlows in there and you got, you know, a bunch of different powers. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. So you got, I think I end up with like 60, 75, around a hundred and something, 120. And then I get, uh, I get that 185 or whatever for when, when the scene permits. And then I have my three and a half uh, Pentax as well that I always have around when I'm doing planetary observing. And I, I can usually use it about, 30 or 40 percent of the time so that, that's kind of my setup yeah yeah no it's a really really solid approach um it was it was a lot of fun looking through um well looking at all the stuff we looked at and man like we had a pretty big list of objects <laughs> or a long list of objects that that we ended up seeing that night yeah i mean some of the highlights for me were taking a look at uh messier 33 which is the galaxy the triangle yep. galaxy and um we could actually see that NGC 64H2 region pop out. And that was one thing typically I wouldn't do, or it'd be difficult to, to see the benefit of having um, your nebula filters um, flip in and out. Um, so if you have to take everything apart and re-screw a nebula filter in. So for those who don't know, unless you have one of these filter selectors, you're unscrewing and re-screwing nebula filters. And typically it's not that big a deal, but if you are trying to uh, look at some subtle detail and, and kind of see something, what it looks like without a filter and then, and then put a filter in um, you, you've got to have a pretty good memory, which I, you know, at, at night and in the dark, I, I may not. Um, but anyway, um, 
having the filter select, you can just pop it in notes. We were able to see the, uh, a bright H2 region and M33. Um, and then you can almost see some other ones sort of at the threshold of, of visibility, eh? like they were kind of sort of vaguely there with the bird of vision. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, the, uh, what else was really cool? I, I really enjoyed our views of the lagoon in both telescopes. Um, seeing some of the, you know, darker lanes through the lagoon nebula was really cool. Mm-hmm. And, um, again, that filter slide just was awesome because, I have filters like the UFC, the H beta, all, all of that stuff, but I, I rarely use them because I just hate, like you said, you know, fumbling in the darkness, screwing these filters in, have a look, then take it out, you know, and kind of go back and forth. It's just a pain. So they often end up staying in my observing kit. I just don't use them, but being able to just quickly slide through and, and, uh, you know, we had a lot of sort of like you know, eye exam tests, like better or worse, you know, and that's a, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it was kind of fun, right? Cause most, most objects we looked at the, um, the UFC or sorry, the UHC, uh, filter was by far the clear winner. Like it really, really transformed the views. Um, but there was a couple of objects where we preferred, or at least I think I preferred the O3 and, um, and then like H beta on M33 was pretty cool too. And and I think without that filter slide, Chris, I'm not sure we would have had those views. You know, I don't know if we would have been, you know, filter in, filter out sort of thing. No. And, and the, you know, what it works like is it works like the, the old flippers that they used to use for uh, like when, when Tombaugh discovered Pluto and they would kind of flip back and forth and it, and it allows you to, to flip between the different views, just like, Basically, in, in a couple heartbeats, you can, you know, this is what it looks like without a filter. Now, this is what it looks like with one of the three filters that we were using. Um, they only work with certain filters, only the Lumicons and the and the Televues. And there might be a few others, but many of the filter housings are too big to fit in. So all my other filters that I have from other manufacturers do not work. So I only know that the Televues and the Lumicons uh, work in those. For anybody who's curious about buying those, the good news is, is that you can get the Lumicon and uh, and Teleview filters used, especially the Lumicon, for pretty good pretty good pricing. Um, so you can probably still find some of these filter selectors out there. And yeah, I was surprised how good it worked. Um, I thought it was really neat on the um, on the Triffid um, because the mm. Triffid velocity, and and I think you said it well that uh, when we were observing the. Uh, the sky here, there, there's some lights around, like in the distance, like our immediate vicinity is super dark. There's no external lights that we can see for maybe the better part of a hundred meters out in all directions. Um, but beyond that there, yeah, there's some lights and other places and that sort of thing. So there is some light around here, but the sky in general is about a sixth magnitude sight, I think something like that. Would you say? Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's a reasonably dark site. It's not as dark as, as our other locations that we, that we frequent, but uh, it's better than the other close insights that we have. But anyway, um, this is where the nebula filters are really going to give you your biggest bang for the buck. Like if you go to a super, super dark site, like down in the grasslands, having the filters is neat, but the, the differences are more subtle. Whereas here, you're most of the way there. And what they do is they basically take you almost the rest of the way there. You can almost get as much detail as you can from your um, your your darkest of dark sites. So sort of, you know, kind of gives you that, that super dark sky view of nebulas, like the lagoon or the Triffid. Um, 
you know, you, even from a location like this, which is only for you, I think you said it was 35 minutes uh, from your house. So that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about that the next day that, you know, 35 minutes away from my house and I'm on the, you know, Northwest edge of the city, a city of about, you know, I think we're 280, 290,000 people, something like that. And uh, it's incredible to be able to drive that short of a distance, have, you know, Milky Way overhead with lots of structure and not just like the dark lane through the middle, but like brighter regions and darker regions. Like there was some real detail in the Milky Way. Um, like you said, probably about six, three, six and a half magnitude uh, skies. Um, and then, and then the, uh, UHC filters just really, you know, purified that view, you know, got rid of yep. the little bit of light pollution that does exist and really made those nebulas jump out. Like the nebulas were, were nice to look at even unfiltered, but it was like that yep. UHC just like amped it up. It was really good. Yeah. Like I find seeing like the structure or really even just seeing the triffid nebula, I, I find it's a little bit of a challenge in, in a four inch. Mm-hmm. I think once you get to an eight inch, the triffid becomes a uh, pretty easy fare, but in a four inch, it's, it's more challenging. Um, and then once, once you were using, um, I think the, the UHC filter, like you said, you, you could quite clearly start to see some, some structure there. And then again, it was neat to uh, to put it on Messier 27, which is planetary from Vulpecula, mm-hmm. which is one of the brightest planetaries that we can see. And uh, at, at first, when we had the uh, the O3 on it um, at low power, it was much better. And then you kind of thought it was an even draw between the UHC and and the O3 at higher power. And I I thought at higher power for my eye, I, I thought the UHC just kind of edged out the O3. So it is neat to be able to have that uh, and just to be able to slide it in and go back and forth. And the view does change, like for sure, even if it is about the same brightness or whatever, you, you can pick out slightly different uh, details in, in the different uh, filters, which is really, really neat. Yeah. Yeah. It really was. And, and, you know, further, further to this, I, I think it would be awesome to have the, like some colored ratten filters for planetary observing. And, uh, you know, to be able to flip through, you know, yellow, blue, green, or whatever you choose and just see how that changes the view and what other planetary features, uh, you can pull out with those filters. I I think it would just be awesome. Yeah. And it was neat. Um, towards the end, we looked at uh, the Pleiades M45, uh, as it was rising, like we had sort of Taurus rising and a rigor rising and we were able to see in, uh, in, in the Pleiades, you know, we could put the, the UHC on it and it, you know, it was fairly low. So I think it was helping see the uh, little bit of nebula around, uh, around the star Moreau thing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, especially with averted vision, it, it, you know, you could see that there was a little bit of cloudiness there and, uh, it, it wasn't hard to see that's for sure. Yeah. And towards the end of the session, we had to look at one of my favorite objects, uh, which is the uh, California nebula. Um, yeah. which needs a, a UHC filter. And uh, I think we had a pretty good view of it considering it was only like maybe uh, 15 or, or 16 degrees up or something. Yeah, that was, um, that was kind of neat. It, again, that's, that's a view that um, it, it didn't jump out at you. You know, you needed to know that it was there and that, it would, that you were in the right part of the sky, but it certainly was there and uh, it was a fun view. The, the other one that was kind of neat, um, uh, was that asterism, the, what is it? The ladle or the spoon, uh, by Sagittarius? Oh yeah. In your, uh, 
in your 50-50, 50 uh, F5 on the 50-50. Yeah, up in uh, just north of the, or just above the handle of uh, the teapot asterism, there's the uh, asterism of the spoon. Um, that's what they call it. I don't think it really looks like a spoon, maybe like a sugar spoon or something. It has like a weird sort yeah. of right angle spoon to it. Um, but you're able to get the whole thing easily in your in your little uh, 50F5, I think, with the, with the nag. Yeah, yeah, it it fit in there quite well. Um, again, another really neat view, and and like that's a big part of the sky too. So, you know, ten degrees is, um, you know, I guess you know one fist out. It's it's a lot to see. Yeah. Oh, and we saw the Heart and Soul Nebulas too. I think. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yeah. 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 I, again, we just, we looked at so many objects and it was pretty efficient observing because we were like, we really were only like serious observing for probably about two hours. And, um, uh, you know, we had time to talk and time to watch some fireworks that were shooting off around. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so but, uh, celebrating our, our observing success. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but I was really impressed with your site. Um, uh, you know, it, it, it's a beautiful, like it's a picturesque site where you're sort of on this elevated, uh, you know, edge of a valley overlooking a lake with, you know, beautiful trees around. Um, it really was quite nice. And, and then the quality of the skies were just, uh, you know, something else, especially again, that close to home. It's, it's yeah. pretty wild to think you can, you can have those skies this close. Yeah. Like, you know, for a long time, I, I always had thought that I would get a place that was further out that would be you know, as dark as you can get, but, uh, you know, then, then it's a site that maybe you're not using as much or we're not using as much. And, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's nice just to be able to, to take a run out. Like last weekend, I went back home and, and, uh, you know, brought more gear out because mm -hmm. uh, it was going to be clear. It hadn't been forecast to be clear. And, um, so I did another run in and, and grab more gear and then, then brought out another tripod, things like that. So, you know, it gives you more, more flexibility in that. And then, you know, for, for you, it's only uh, just over 30 minutes, which, which really is like nothing. Cause I think when we go to, you know, one of our, one of our other sites, which isn't that great um, really, I mean, there's not any local lights, but we still have a lot of city lights and it's, it's maybe a five, five and a half magnitude site. Um, it's 20 minutes for us, give or take. So this is only, you know, another 10 or 15 minutes in the car really. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, you know, you get the full structure of the Milky Way versus there, you can just barely get the Milky Way and it, it has some vague structure to it. But out here, it, it's, it's dark. You're actually in the dark area. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it really was good. And, and um, pretty much unobstructed horizons, a little bit of obstruction to the north and east with some of the trees. But, you know, the stuff that you're looking at in the, like, especially in the north is probably higher up anyway. And, um, it really only took away like maybe the, the lower, well, I don't know, maybe 10 degrees of the east. So you're really not looking there either. You'll just wait for those objects to rise in the sky and yeah. uh, away you go. So yeah, um, great sight. And uh, it, it really was a fun night. Um, yeah. yeah. Double cluster. Oh, Campbell's Cascade. Yeah, we, we yeah. really just saw so much stuff that night. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was bagged uh, when you left. And uh I didn't stay out any longer. I, I was, I was, I was in bed in 15 minutes. So yeah, I was, well, I was pretty tired. I, I was, you know, I, I was trying to time my departure so that, you know, I wouldn't be too tired on the highway. 
Um, and, uh, you know, at first I was kind of thinking, oh, I probably should have stayed another half hour to an hour, but man, by the time I got home, I was pretty tired too. So I'm, I'm glad yeah. I left when I did, because I, I certainly yeah. wouldn't want to do that drive too sleepy because, um, there's a, there's a lot of deer population in that area of the world. So uh, I saw, yeah, I saw like six or seven deer here yesterday. So they were yeah. all over the place. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, you can bring a tent next time and camp right next to your scope. Like, <laughs> it's no problem. Yeah, well, gee, you know, and and that's one of the things we always love about going to the grasslands is then you can push your your observing session until you you barely can keep your eyes open, you know, and yeah, and at that point you throw you know a cover over the telescope and crawl into a sleeping bag. Yeah, yeah, I think I think as you get a better feel for the for the spot out here and. You know, I, you know, I think it's good. It's good for that. We have a place to come in and get warm as well, you know, uh, with heat and stuff. So yeah, yeah it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, I even got out last night. It was, it was cloudy, but, uh, the, the clouds cleared and I did like a 20 minute session and took a look at, finally got it nailed down, had a target M81 and M82. I figure after all these years, I should just memorize where they are in the sky. So <laughs> I don't know why I never bothered doing that before. So. You know, that, that's a funny one because I, I sometimes forget, like there's sort of two, two guide stars off the bowl of the big dipper, you, you know, you yeah. can kind of loosely follow them up and find it, but I often forget which guide stars and which direction. And, and, yeah. uh, I, I can relate. It's, it's, yeah. it's sometimes challenging to find those two. Yeah. I, I never really bothered. Usually I just sweep around until I find it and, yeah. and half the time I just get lucky and nail it. And then, cause I generally know where they are. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like just kind of by the position of the other stars, but, uh, like as far as knowing which stars to come off of, like with M31, I know, I know how to map the stars and, uh, to, to nail it. And you can see a pretty easy naked eye and same with a bunch of other things. Like, you know, I probably have, I don't know, several dozen of these committed to memory, but, uh, I never bothered to do it for those two. And those are two of the frequent ones that, that we all like to look at. So I thought, well, I, I should get these down because you can see them in binoculars even. So yeah. anyway. Yeah. Right. And they, sh- they show really nice detail, even in like a three inch telescope. They, uh, there's a lot to see in those two. Yeah. Yeah. I know they, they look pretty cool, but I didn't get a scope on them last night. And, and as you know, I was having some trouble with, with my mount. Oh yeah. I got, yeah. I got, I got some things worked out with that. So uh, let's see. One of the things that I ran into in June is that um I don't know. I, I was out observing with Mike and I had my phone in my pocket um, and I was running. I used to just run the app, even though I have the hand paddle for my AZ GTI and I had the, uh, the app open and I threw it in my pocket and I don't know what I pressed or what pressed in my pocket when it was in there. But after that, I, it, it just seemed to almost like lock me out of being able to do a few things. And I think, probably the best way to put it, it almost gets stuck in like a, like the absolute lowest slew speed um, that it could be on. And even if I changed it, that wouldn't change for some reason. Um, so I had, I had deleted and downloaded the app, messed around with it inside. Um, but what I decided to yesterday afternoon um, while the mount was, I set the mount up uh, during the day, but it's on a level tripod and it's, it's all set up and ready to go. I took the old batteries out. I put the battery pack on it and, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm guessing maybe that kind of wasn't enough to kind of trip it out of this, whatever kind of problem it was into, because that seemed to fix it. Um, so the app is now working. So I'm pretty happy about that. 
Um, the other thing was, wasn't always tracking that well. And like I said, I put my, my permanent uh, tripod up and, uh, I spent an afternoon leveling that a couple of days ago and having, having that leveled, uh, allows it to, that, that seems to solve the tracking, but I got this knock eh? and that knock is just persistent now. Oh, I wonder what that is. I'm guessing it's the gears are, and I, and I looked online, um, when I was trying to fix my other issue, I looked online and I found all these people were having this problem. So I think I just had the same problem and there's some straightforward instructions. So I don't know. I'm, I may need to find somebody a little bit more mechanically inclined than I am to, to help me pull it apart. And you just need to remesh the gears is, is all for, for me though. That's a big thing. Cause I'm not as mechanically inclined as, as many people are. Um, so I might need, might need to find a, a friend for a favor on that, but uh, should, should be possible to fix. I think that's all that's happening, but, yeah, when it knocks, like you can see it. Um, like when we were looking at Jupiter, I could see it. It was tracking perfectly, but every you know few seconds, it would kind of vibrate a bit, and uh, that that's just getting worse. So, huh. well, bring it by. We can put it on the workbench and tear it apart. Woohoo! So you're offering? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I still have that beer with your name in it, but we don't drink beer when we're actually uh, doing serious observing. So one, one night we'll have clouds, I'm sure. <laughs> Yeah. 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 That, that, that's a guarantee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, that's sort of it for me. Uh, I don't know if you have anything else to add. I was really happy you were able to, to make it out. Like now that, you know, we had the spoke there for a while and then, um, you know, uh, we, we've each had a couple nights where we were busy and then, uh, I, I did those runs down to the grasslands. And so finally we were able to kind of meet up and do a session. So that was, that was really a lot of fun because I enjoy observing with like you and Mike and anybody else that wants to come out, but, yeah, it was really fun to be able to do that and then actually talk about observing together on the podcast. Super cool. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was so fun. Um, I'm yeah, I, I was over the moon <laughs> pun intended, um, with, uh, <laughs> with how everything went and, and it's just so nice to be observing under dark skies and, yeah. and you know, there's a, there's a new excitement in me just again, like I've said it a few times that it's only a half an hour away and, and oh, we can yeah. have some really, really good observing. So I'm yeah. excited for the fall. Um, you know, the, yeah. the smoke is gone. I think it'll stay away yeah. and we should be able to do lots more observing. Yeah, cool. Well, I really look forward to it and uh, I'm super excited for the fall. All in these, these darker nights now, it's, uh, you know, here in the next new moon, we'll be into a period where it's, it's getting dark enough to observe just after 8 p.m. So, you know, we can do two or three hours and, and be home and get up and go to work the next day and, and be reasonably alert. So that's exciting. Yeah. Can't wait. All right. Well, thanks uh, so much, Shane. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. And thanks to everybody for listening. Thank you everyone for listening. And we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.